We see crosses everywhere, on buildings, upon necklaces, and even in tattoos. But in the first century, the cross was a symbol of power, violence, and death. Decent people never spoke of the cross. This most gruesome death instrument had one purpose, terrifying and torturing Rome's adversaries. For its victims, the cross meant a slow and agonizing death. No one ever came back from the cross. So, what in the world compels early Christians to embrace it as the most treasured symbol of love? The Bible itself clearly elevates the cross as its most central and core truth, the very power of God, and the only message Christians offer. But why? What is the point of the cross? Good morning. How many of you guys are excited to gather with your church today? Yes, it's so good. I love it. Hey, quick poll. Raise your hand if you realize when you see that symbol of the cross that it's made up of four question marks. Raise your hand. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Those of you who are not raising your hands, keep looking. Uh, don't raise your hand during my sermon, but when you get it, raise it during worship. It'll be spiritual. It'll be a great moment. It'll be, it'll be awesome. But they, we, we have been in this series asking, what is the point of the cross? Because it's interesting to me because I have all these conversations with other churches or people I follow, and, and people will be asking me, hey, what are, you guys, what are you guys teaching through right now? Because everything politically that's happening... You know, everything health-wise, you know, all this division. What, like, what are you guys teaching on? And I just sat here last week under Nolan's teaching, and I was like, this is it. We are teaching the cross. We are teaching the gospel. We just got done with a series on worship, how Jesus is worthy. And th- th- here's why. Because in a world that is tearing itself apart and a world that is confused about what's next or where to go. What is the answer? It's Jesus. We need the gospel in our lives. So guess what? We're going to be a church that continues to preach the gospel. Amen? We, we don't move beyond the gospel. We move deeper into the gospel. And so we're in this series asking, what is the point of the cross? And, and the last few weeks, we've looked at a few things. First, uh, Jesus on the cross, he accomplished victory over sin, death, and the enemy, Satan himself. He is our Christus Victor. And that has huge implications for our day-to-day life. We can no longer be accused by the accuser because we are no longer guilty in the eyes of the Lord. Second, we looked at this idea of justification. And justification is where Jesus has paid the price of our sin. He has taken the cost and he has given us his righteousness. And then last week, we looked at this idea of expiation, where, where we face sin and shame and guilt, and yet Jesus, he bore our shame on the cross. He, he took our sin and our shame upon himself that we may live free. Like, these are the beautiful things that Jesus has accomplished on the cross. But here's what I want you to see this week, okay? Because Jesus has conquered sin's power in your life, because Jesus has declared you righteous, because Jesus has bore our sin and our shame. Now, because of these things, we are able to become more and more and more like Jesus in our lives. This is the theology of sanctification. Sanctification is not something that was once done and accomplished on the cross, but, but through, through his victory, through justification, through expiation, we can now be sanctified. We can now, this is evidence 
This is a demonstration of what Jesus has accomplished. You, you realize that, right? That part of the evidence of the power of the cross is your life. Part of the demonstration of the power of the cross is you becoming more and more like Jesus. Here's a, here's a definition as we get ready to dive in. Sanctification is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and more and more like Christ in our everyday lives, okay? So first, it's a progressive work. It's a process. It, your whole life is going to be a sanctification process that you're walking through. Second, it's God and man. It's, it's a partnership. All the, all the other things we've looked at is Jesus alone. Jesus accomplished our salvation. Jesus has paid the price. But when it comes to sanctification, us becoming more and more like Christ, it's actually a partnership. And and we'll look at that. And and that's a beautiful thing. And then lastly, we are becoming more and more free from sin and more and more like Jesus. Theologian Donald Whitney said it like this. Sanctification is the believer leaving the courtroom where God has once and for all time declared him righteous You've been declared legal, your legal standing is righteousness when you put your faith in Christ. And immediately beginning the process whereby God's spirit enables him to increasingly conform to Christ's righteousness both inwardly and outwardly. So you've been declared right before God. But in sanctification, it's the Holy Spirit moving in our lives in such a way now we're becoming more and more right with God. We're becoming more and more like like Jesus. And think of it this way, okay? So how many of you got, raise your hand if you're married, currently married in the room. Uh, yeah, I'm proud. Okay. If your hand is not raised, look around. Like those are some options, you know, explore, have a conversation later. There's donut holes and coffee. It's a little breakfast date, okay? There's a little bonus you didn't even plan on today. But, but when you got married, those of you guys in the room who are married, when we got married, you stood before someone who had the legal right to declare you a husband or declare you a wife. You are no more or less a husband or a wife right now than you were in that moment 5, 10, 15, 25 years ago. That is your legal standing. But if you're like me, you got home and you're like, man, I got, I feel like I got a couple things I need to figure out, right? Like I'm a husband. I was a husband on March 24th, 2012, right? And I walked away, and I was fully a husband, but I came home, and I was like, man, I I need to conform. I need to be shaped more and more. I have things to learn and grow. This This is sanctification, okay? You are justified by Christ. You are declared righteous, but sanctification is the process in which we become more and more and more like Jesus. So we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3 today. If you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and open it. You don't have a Bible, grab one around you. Uh, You can open a Bible app or you can follow along on the screen. I'm going to start in verse 12. This is what it says. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think it, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. 
And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You guys pray with me. Lord, I thank you for this word. I thank you for Paul writing these words to the Philippians, reminding them of the work that Jesus has accomplished, yet reminding him, all of them, that he is not done with us. Lord, I pray as we sit here and we digest your word and we expound on your word, would you give us the courage to walk forward in our faith? Would you draw us to Jesus? Would we be so in love with Jesus, so spending time with Jesus that we can't help to look more and more and more like him in our lives, Lord? That is what we desire and what we want. Would you do that through your spirit here today? In Jesus' name, amen. So sanctification in this life, it's not perfection, but progress. This is important theology for you to understand, okay? So who's writing this letter? It's Paul, the Apostle Paul. He wrote a majority of the New Testament, and he has this incredible fervor and passion and love. Like he, like he writes epistles, yet he writes, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm a work in progress, you will never be perfect in this life. You, you need to know that theologically. Every once in a while, there's camps that are like, okay, you can reach point of perfect sanctification. And it's like, that, that's false. That contradicts scripture. Also, John writes in 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. There is not a single person in this room that is sinless, okay? None of us. And, and that sounds like discouraging, right? You're like, man, like, I, like, why did I come? Like, again, like, that sin thing, they keep bringing it up. Yeah, but, but it's actually part of the good news. I, I want you to see how this is good news and how it's important for you to understand, okay? First of all, four reasons. First, because we all need Jesus for all of life, all of us. I, I was sitting in uh, one of my classes, I was a freshman at Multnomah, and, and it was a pastoral class. And, uh, you know, one of the kids in the class, you know, kind of raised his hand, asked this comment. He's trying to be a little bit snarky, but he's like, hey, if we're going to be out to do four years, just give us the answer now. What's the key to being good at ministry? Like, what's the most important thing for us to know? And the professor stops and thinks and looks at us, and he says uh, that Jesus had to actually die for you. And we all kind of like laugh, like, oh, yeah, okay, like paying all this money for, you know, this education, you know, went to Sunday school, we know that, like what else? And he kind of like got irked, and he like looks around, he's like, no, 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 no. Jesus had to actually die for you. Do you get that? And we're kind of like, 
yeah, like we know that, like that's foundational. And he's like, here's the problem. You're gonna grow and you're gonna mature and if you reach a point in your life where you think you no longer need Jesus, you're gonna do more damage in ministry than help because you're gonna point people to you and not Jesus. You're gonna point people to themselves and not Jesus. Jesus actually had to die for you. You do not move beyond the gospel. We do not move beyond our need for Christ. And here, here's the other thing. You are not Jesus, okay? Like, you're not Jesus. I, I know we, like, we, we strive and say, man, how can I be Christ in this situation? And, and, and there's a sense, there's an angle in which we can look at that that's, like, really good. Hey, we're trying to imitate our rabbi. We're trying to follow after him. But, but here's the point. The, the, the big idea is that you will never be Jesus. You suck at being Jesus, okay? 930 actually accidentally said, if you're Jesus, then Jesus sucks. And, and then they clipped that part out, like, no, okay, like, you suck at being Jesus. You cannot be Jesus that's not your call. This is what Jeff Anderselt says. He says, our job is not to be Jesus. Our job is to believe Jesus, depend on Jesus, and submit to Jesus working in and through us to accomplish his work. You're not going to reach some point of maturity in your walk or your faith where you move beyond the gospel, where you move beyond your desperate need of Jesus. My, my kids, they, they love swimming. And, and I always love going to like a community pool or one that has all these different areas. They always have like the little kiddie pool, you know what I'm talking about? And like it's a foot deep or a foot and a half and they love playing in it and all this kind of stuff. But, but kids, they don't like stay in there, do they, right? Where do they, they want to go in the big pool. So they go in the big pool and they, and they get big enough and they love the three foot end because they can like, you know, bob their necks above the water, like just living on the edge, right? Just, but they, they never want to stay there. They want to go deeper. Like, they, I want to go to the six, I want to go to the four foot, or the five foot, or the six foot, and it doesn't matter how deep that abyss is, they want to go there, right? And it doesn't matter if they can't swim or not, there's something that just draws them deeper. And, and, it, and it's interesting to me, because in, in the Christian faith, we're always saying what? We want to go deeper. I want to go deeper. And, and sometimes we think deeper is moving beyond the gospel, but you're completely false, you know what you go deeper in? You go deeper in the gospel. The, the gospel is the shallow end of Christianity, and the gospel is the deep end. You, you think Christian maturity is learning to swim in, deeper, in, in the deeper waters? No, it's the gospel going deeper in you. That's what we need in our lives. We need to always understand that we need Jesus, and all of us will need Jesus for all of life. You don't move beyond it. Here's the second thing that's important about this theology, that it's not perfection, but, but progress, is that God is not shocked by your failures. He, he, he's not. Like, sometimes we treat it like, like he's just up there, like Adam and Eve are just walking through the garden, and he's like, oh, they ate it. Like, I didn't think they were actually gonna do that. You know, HSJC, come here. Like, check this out. Like, we screwed up. Like, we made cats and humans. Like, terrible mistakes, right? Like, why do we, the, the, God is not shocked by your failures. He's not shocked, but some of you guys were too offended by that cat comment. <laughs> like, chill, chill. I, I am not perfect. I'm being sanctified, okay? Give me grace. Back on track. <clears throat> Here, here's one of my favorite parts about the Old Testament is, is God walks through these covenants. And uh, there's three parts in these covenants that he, write, that, 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 that he speaks to the nation of Israel. First part is, if you obey, here are the blessings that will happen. 
Second part, if you disobey, here's the consequences. Now, watch this. This is my favorite. There's always a third part. When you disobey, here's how you repent. Why? Because he knows. Like, like God knows that you will fail. God is not shocked by your sin. He's not caught off guard by your failures. And if we have a theology that thinks he is, then we run and we hide. My, my daughter, Nova, she's this princess. I love her to death. She has this shame complex that I've no, we don't even know where it comes from. It's the smallest things. Like if anybody says anything to her, like, hey, like when she was a little girl, like don't stick a fork in the light socket, like gently, calmly, quietly. She just freaks out and screams and runs away. Like, like even now, what she does, she's old enough to where if she makes any kind of mistake, I'm talking like, like drinking her water and it spills on her mouth and somebody sees, she runs downstairs runs into her room, slams the door, gets in her bed under the sheets, and pulls the sheets over her head. And so here's what I do now, is I give it a couple minutes, and then I slowly walk downstairs, and I open the door, and she starts screaming at me to go away as soon as I open the door. And then I go and sit on the end of her bed, and she starts kicking at me and telling me, go away, go away, leave me alone, leave me alone. And then I just start rubbing her back. And after a minute or so, I just ask her, I'm like, Nova, do you want daddy to leave? And every time she says, no, I want daddy to stay. Like, this is in us. This is what Nolan talked about last week. It's this fig leaf response that we have to our shame and our guilt. And if we think that God is caught off guard, we think God is surprised by our failures, and we're going to run and we're hide. One of the great tools of Satan is the lie that, does, that God doesn't want you when you fall short. Oh, God loves you in the midst of your mess and your pain. See, and this is critical because here's the third thing is that relapses can become moments for repentance if we understand that it's not about perfection but it's about progress, okay? When you relapse, you actually need to run towards God, not away from him. Early in our marriage, um, I had confessed some sins in my life that I was struggling with to my wife, and we kind of sat down and came up with this game plan, and I went, and I, and I joined this group of people, and, and I started walking through this process, and I was about three or four weeks in, and somebody in the group had shared how, with, for their particular area, they had a relapse this week, and uh, the, the person leading the group looks at them and says, oh, we have such a good opportunity right now. And I remember thinking, like, you are not good at this. Like, you should give me your clipboard. That's not, like, no, like, we don't sell it. We're like, what are you doing? What are you, what are you, what are you? And he starts to walk us through the process. He's like, no, 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 you don't, you have to understand the cycle. Is we sin, and we feel guilty, and we feel shame, and so what do we do? We actually spiral downwards into it. We, we use that as our drug. We use that as our coping mechanism, and we spiral, and we spiral, and spiral until we hit rock bottom. Rock bottom can be various different things. Sometimes it's getting caught. Sometimes it's somebody, uh, somebody uh, like our life falling apart to where we are. And then it's finally when we're at rock bottom, we start to get help. And when we get help, that's when we start to actually repent and to turn away and we walk through this process of recovery. We, we're in this cycle. But, but here's what happens. We're sinful human beings. We have our flesh that we're still fighting. And so almost every time, you know what happens right here? We relapse. And he says, this is, this is the point where we're at right now. It's relapse. And we have two choices. Normally, when we relapse, we actually spiral further. We, we say, I tried to get rid of this sin. 
I tried to stop doing that, and I, and I was in recovery for a while, but I just relapsed, so what's the point? And we spiral even further, and our rock bottom is deeper this next time. It's further this next time. But he says, no, we have an opportunity right now to skip that part of the process and go straight from relapse to repentance. We can run to a God who loves us. See, if we have a theology that says, no, it's not about perfection in this life, it's about progress. We have a God who loves us and has declared us righteousness. Instead of running away from him, we run to him in our failures. This, it's huge and critical. And lastly, number four, God is not done with you. That's good news. God's not done with you. Like, you are a work in progress. I mean that as a compliment. He's not done with you. In 2 Corinthians 3, Paul writes, we all with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That, that, in other places, Paul writes that he who began a good work will carry it on to completion in Christ Jesus. What God started, God will finish. And he's not done with you. You need to know that God loves you just the way you are. He does. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. He's going to continue to work on you. And hopefully this uh, shapes how we treat others. To understand that we would start to show grace to others and to know that God is not done with them. I mean, there's times where you may look at them and be like, you are a work in progress. But like, that's a compliment. <laughs> because of the process of sanctification. Here's the second thing in sanctification. Uh, in your sanctification, you are not a passive spectator. You are an active participant. All the other things we looked at was Jesus's finished work. Jesus accomplished and did the whole thing. But in sanctification, it's, it's, we, we participate. We are, we are partners with him. L look at this passage. Look at verses 12 through 17 and just look at these verbs. Look at these action words we're called to. Paul says, I press on. One thing I do. He says, I forget. I strain. I press on. I think this way. I hold true. I join in imitating. I keep my eyes. I, uh, those who walk. These are all action words. So this is how Paul always teaches. He starts out his letter, here's what Jesus has done. Isn't it amazing what Jesus has done? This is who we are in the gospel. Now in light of what Jesus has done and who he's made us, let's go actually live it out. Let's go actually walk in it. I press on to make it my own because Jesus has made me my own. I can go walk in righteousness because Jesus has made me righteous. I can go walk in holiness because Jesus has declared me holy, but it's a partnership. It's how we walk. Theologian D.A. Carson, he says, he says, people do not drift towards holiness. Like, you get that? You don't just like randomly like, man, I just, these last couple weeks I've been doing nothing. I'm so much more holy right now, right? We don't drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and we call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and we call it freedom. 
We drift towards superstition and we call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control. You know what that means? That's a theologian's way of saying lazy. And we call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking that we have escaped legalism. We slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. You're not going to drift towards sanctification. You are called to be an active participant in it. You are called to become more and more and more like Jesus through the power of the Spirit, through God's grace. But he's declared you righteous, now he wants to make you righteous. Um, back in January, I was watching a, about 10, you know, eight, nine, 10 months into COVID, and I was watching this sermon of this pastor preaching. And I'm looking at this video, and I'm like, man, like, that guy got fat in COVID. Like, he... <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm like watching, I'm like, he put on the COVID-19. You know what I'm saying? I, like, and the problem was it was me. What, nobody, la- nobody laughed last service at that. Like, I thought that was funny, okay? I was like, I'm sitting in house church and I'm watching this sermon and I'm like, dang, man, like the round mound of rebound is back in the pulpit, right? What is, ha-? like, I got done and I, I seriously went to my wife and I was like, I don't think I can wear that shirt anymore. She's like, you can't wear that shirt anymore. Like, you know? I'm like, those are not abs wrinkling through that shirt right there. I was like, so what did I do? I sat and I prayed and I said, Lord, your ways are not my ways. And so if there is any way besides eating right and exercising that you can make me healthy, (laughs) I receive this from you. You are higher and better. This is a holy and righteous prayer, right? I just pray. No, I, I said, I have to change my lifestyle. I have a role and I, I have a role and a responsibility. I have to change the way I eat. I have to change my activities. Like like the, the like COVID nineteen needs to be. It's almost COVID twenty. Like I need to be done with that, right? Like I need to walk this road. It's, it, this is sanctification. You can't just say, "Hey Lord, change me." Yeah, it, does prayer matter? Absolutely. Does relying on the Spirit, absolutely. Does relying on Jesus, absolutely. You cannot do it in your own strength. But looking at Paul's writing here, you are called to press forward. You are called to take action. You are called to strain. You are called to think differently. You are called to receive things differently. You can't just sit back and be like, I'm drifting towards holiness. You say, man, do I love Jesus enough to strive after a life with him? being molded more and more. And so let me give you a few ways for you to participate in your sanctification. First, um, consume in a way that develops you. You guys, we have been listening to and consuming spiritual junk food and wondering why our faith is waning. Like, you need to cut the political podcasts. Like, you need to get rid of cable news. Like, it's discipling you, and it's garbage. Some of you need to cut social media. You need to stop following certain people. Like, you're just consuming spiritual junk food, and you're wondering why you're spiritually unhealthy. Consume in a way that actually develops you. So let me give you some really practical things, okay? For, like, first, there's some incredible podcasts out there to, to listen to. And find good, healthy, biblical preachers that you can follow. But, but, but here's one that I really love. It's, it's, it, it's just called Simply Put. And it's a British theologian, 
and, and he's taking these five, he takes these five to seven minute snippets on different topics of theology and he explains. And I listen to that stuff and I just get so encouraged. I get encouraged to be reminded of the work of God in my life. I get encouraged to understand the scriptures in a different way. Here, here's another thing that you can do is every month we come up with the, we, we have a monthly Bible reading plan. And why do we do it monthly? Because when we try yearly, we, everybody gets to Leviticus and is like, Jesus, just come back. Like, I'm good. Like, like I'm, I'm good, right? And so we, every month, like a brother in our church, he, he writes these introductions and overviews to these books of the Bible, and you can sit and you can understand these scriptures and just read through. And guess what? When you're like, man, I failed at August, right? Okay, well, September rolls around. And if you're like, I'm deep into September and I'm already failing, like either catch up or jump on board in October. But fill, like consume in a way that actually develops your faith. Like faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so you need to expose yourself to it. And here's another one that, I, this is a personal favorite of mine, I use it all the time. It's just called Streetlights. is created and developed here locally in Portland. Um, by a bunch of spoken word artists. And they took the NLT translation and they got these th different rappers and, and spoken word artists and they scored music to it. And then they have these artists like reading the scripture. And so you can just open the app and you know, go went for a run the other day and listen to First Peter. And it's just like, man, you're, you're consuming in a way that develops you. You're participating in your sanctification. And you're either drifting away from the Lord or you're actively pursuing relationship with him. Second, connect in a way that challenges you. And here's what I mean, like, like pursue relationships, like pursue being influenced by people. The, you have a lot of relationships that are just easy in your life. Like maybe it's a best friend or a family member that you just see each other a lot. You all think the same. You talk about the same things. You have these memories. You need to connect in a way that actually challenges you, like to put in effort. And I know Nolan already talked about this, but I just want to hit it again. This is why city groups are so valuable. Because for one session, you're going to sit down with people that aren't like you. And you're going to talk about how Jesus is moving in your life. A couple that I want to encourage you on, maybe if you're new in your faith, Chris and Stacy, they're starting one called Basic Faith. Man, spend, spend 10 weeks talking through about Jesus with two amazing brothers and sisters in Christ that would love to walk with you. And, and, and to go through this road. Stephen Sue Overby, they're, they're doing one on spiritual practices. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus for 30 years, but to say, no, I want to grow in my spiritual disciplines or my spiritual practices. Reuben and Anya are leading one going through the book of Ephesians, where, what a book, man. Like, you spend the first half looking at our identity in Jesus, and the second half saying, okay, now because of who we are in Jesus, how should we walk? Like, grow. Like, put effort into connection in relationship. And lastly, one of the things you can do is you can serve in a way that creates dependence. Like, serving should challenge you. Like, you go in a classroom. Like, you don't know, like, challenge until you have a six-year-old look at you and ask you some deep theological question that gives you a brain aneurysm. And you're like, I, I need to read some stuff. Like, let me come back to you on that. that but that's a beautiful moment. Like, we, we should serve. We need, if you are a part of this church, if you call Rise Home, you need to serve. And I don't say that because I'm like, hey, we need, we need you to do this or that. Like, we have an amazing team. I say that because you need this. 
You need to use your gifts. You need to be challenged in ways and stretched in ways. And so, again, I want to invite you, come to team night. Come be a part. Like, I'm so, who, who is team night good for? Two categories of people. One, if you are serving already, come to team night. We get to worship together. We get to celebrate what God is doing. All right, we're, we're, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a message and a vision about how do we press forward in chaos. I don't know if anybody could use that right now, but I know that I could. Like, we, it feels like our world's falling apart, but we are called to press forward, and it'll apply to your life. We're, um, we're going to have food, all this stuff. If you are serving, come to that. If you are interested and serving. Come to that. Maybe you're new and you haven't gotten plugged into a team on the team yet. Like, come participate in that. We'll talk, we'll break up into the teams and talk about vision and all that kind of stuff. It'll be great. If you are like, I don't want to serve, I just want to come and consume, like, this is not a night for you. You are welcome. Keep coming on Sundays. Like, keep coming back. But this is for people who are like, I want to serve and I want to press forward and I want to grow in these ways. So serve in a way that creates dependence. And lastly, when we look at this idea of sanctification, uh, we need, what do we need? We need not faith deconstructors, but faith developers. This word, deconstruction, or um, deconstructors, you either have been hearing it a lot lately, or you're going to be hearing it lately. Because it's like so on trend for a Christian to deconstruct their faith right now. And at one point, it was a good thing. And here's what I mean. About 500 years ago, uh, a guy named Martin Luther, he, dis- he deconstructed the Catholic faith by saying, through the lens of the Bible. And he was like, you know, I kind of feel like this doesn't match up. And I got 95 problems with it, all right? And so he starts working through these things. And he's like, you know, hey, the printing press didn't do you guys any favors. I can read the Bible now. And like, this is not biblical. And so there was a deconstruction of the faith. But now here's what, what's happening and what you're seeing. Is, is you are having these believers or former believers deconstructing their faith through the lens of culture. They're saying, hey, what is our culture value? What does our culture say? And where does our faith not line up? Things like the authority of scripture, the sanctity of life and marriage, even the deity of Christ. It's being deconstructed and people's worlds are falling apart. This is what Paul says. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your minds your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Say, look for faith developers and follow after them. But many whom I'm often told you about, and now I tell you with tears, there's these people that I warn you about, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. And this is what he explains, 19, he says, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. Literally things that, that are shameful, He says they glory in those things with minds set on earthly things. And we've reached a point in our culture where those are the people of faith that we honor. The ones who say, uh, you know, our faith is a mess or we can't trust it or or we're falling, it's falling apart. And here's what happens is you have these people who have deep wounds in their lives. And rather than actually dealing with their spiritual wounds and bringing it to the Lord and offering it to him as a sacrifice, we built these idols and we build these altars and we say, and that becomes what we worship. And then we have this mess of a life and we bleed all over people and we're hurting people and we're wounded. And then for some reason, we start following these people and saying, oh, I want to be like that person. And their life is a mess and it's a train wreck. That is not what you build your faith on. You build your faith on Jesus 
this. You surround yourself with faithful saints who have been following Jesus for years. Let them shape you. Let them mold you. Let them build your faith. Not people who are known by what they're against rather than what they're for. Not people who would rather destroy than build up. Not people who would rather be an intellectual savant than a humble servant. Erase those voices from your life. Unfollow, delete, decline, ignore, block their number. I don't care what you have to do. Stop letting that have room in your spiritual walk with Jesus. And follow people like Paul. Follow faithful brothers and sisters in their faith. People who are honorable. People who are loving. People who are faithful. People who lead in their home and their work and their church. And allow those to be people who actually mold and shape you. You want to become like Jesus? Spend time with people who are becoming like Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. And he reminds us why. In verse 20, he says, Because our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. What he's saying is, look, this is going to be challenging, becoming more and more and more like Jesus, because it's going to counter the culture you're around. He says, because you're a citizen of heaven. And so, are you going to feel like an outsider? He says, yeah. There's times where you're going to feel like an outsider. Look, look, I remember when I was 16 years old, and I came to faith in Christ, and like, I was like sold out on Jesus. It just became my life, my music, the things I would read. And so I would roll into my high school, 16, just had my license, and I had this 91 GMC pickup slammed to the ground, painted all blue with like chrome rims, and I put a sound system in it, and I would roll the windows down manually, and I would turn on gospel gangsters, and I would blast. I, I kid you not, that is not made up, right? And, and I had three things to my outfit every day. I, I had uh, the $2 Old Navy slip. Flippers, you know what I'm talking about? Flip-flops, you know what I'm talking about? Like, I would, I would just buy those, go through them one or two a week and just buy, buy more. I had a baby blue North Carolina hat that I would wear backwards every day, and I had a big old leather-bound NIV study Bible. And I would just walk through my high school, 120 pounds soaking wet, walk through my high school like that, right? I did not, like, people are like, that, that kid's weird, right? <laughs> He's strange. Like, the flip-flops and the hat and the Bible. But when their parents went through a divorce, who would they come talk to? Because, yes, I stood out like a sore thumb because I was not a citizen of this world. I was a citizen of heaven. And I didn't have all the answers, but I knew who did. I could point them to Jesus. This is what Paul is saying. He's like, You're a citizen, your citizenship is in heaven. You're not a citizen of the world. We don't hope in politicians and policy. We don't put our hope in eradicating disease or education boards. We put our hope in the one who is to come. We put our hope in the Savior. We put our hope in Jesus. He is who we build our lives upon. Think of your life like this. So about 10 years ago, I went on this hike to the Enchantments. It's this beautiful hike through, uh, up in central Washington. And uh, the peak of the enchantments is about 8,000 feet. 
Okay, Mount Hood is 11,000, Rainier is 14. So that gives you a little bit of context. Like, I had no idea what I was getting in, into. Like, I don't even like walking, and yet now I'm going to hike, like, with like a backpack. I don't know what to pack. I'm like, ravioli sounds good. Put a bunch of those in there, right? <laughs> Make sure you got your s'more stuff. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm hiking up. And so we get to the day, end of day one, and we reach the top, and I'm like putting these rocks out, like, to build a fire. And somebody's like, hey, well, what are you doing? I was like, I'm building a fire, like camping. Like, this is what I came for, right? And they're like, oh, no, no, actually, the elevation here is too high that it's dangerous for, uh, for helicopters to come in if there was a fire, so fires are not allowed. I'm like, say what, <laughs> right? As I'm like putting my s'more stuff and hot dogs back together, <laughs> like back in my backpack. Oh, yeah, no problem, I totally, I'm like, this is miserable. Like, I realized in that moment, there's hikers and then there's campers. I am a camper, right? And so the next day, uh, this group was like, all right, we're, we're going to hike to the top. And I was like, I'm going to hike down. I'm going to go to where I can have fires and like, and, and, you know, and quesadillas and, and like s'mores and all that kind of stuff. But, but there was this moment when we reached the top, and, and, and it's this moment that just takes your breath away. It's because we walked near the top, and you, you come to this lake, and it was honestly like one of probably the most beautiful thing I've seen in person. This lake is crystal clear blue because the elevation is such that the, the normal algae can't survive. And the group was like, we're going up there. And I was like, I think I'm good, <laughs> right? And so me and some of my friends, we hiked down the next day. And I remember that trip vividly because everybody else went to the top and they came back down and, you know, and, 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 and we all walked down together. And uh, I have so many good memories from that hike. But here's the thing. If the goal of that hike was just to get to the top, then it's kind of a failure, right? But if the goal of that hike was to make memories, if the goal of that hike was to enjoy a relationship, if the goal of that hike was the process along the way, I have a much different view. See, the problem is sometimes we view Christianity as this mountain that we're supposed to climb, and when you arrive at the top, then you get Jesus, I think that's a false dichotomy. See, Jesus is the mountain. Jesus is the whole thing. Jesus is the pathway. Jesus is the tent of protection along the way. Like, Jesus is the s'mores you enjoy. I know that's heretical, but it's kind of Trinitarian, so let's go with it, right? He, he is the full thing. And here's what I want you to see in sanctification. That yes, look forward to the end. Yes, look forward to being with Jesus and, and your perfection and when, when, when the work in you is being made whole. But also like enjoy Jesus along the way. Like, learn to love how Jesus works in your life. The moments of grief where you're like, what is happening? Jesus is working in you. The moments where you fall short, what is happening? Jesus is drawing you, saying, no, no, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Jesus, he, he finished it all on the cross. He bought our righteousness. And you know what the rest of this life is? It's walking step by step with a Jesus who wants to walk with us. This is the faith. So what do we do today? You guys, may we take time and reflect on this. If you are a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to come to the Lord's table and remember that Jesus' body was made broken so that you may be made whole. 
Are you complete? Nope. You're a work in progress. But celebrate what he's doing in your life. That his blood was poured out to wash you white as snow. Maybe some of you are wrestling through some things. Maybe even as I say the word relapse or sin or addiction, it triggers things in you. Battles you're tired of fighting. Let today be a day of repentance. Come back to the prayer room. There's men and women who would love to pray with you and for you and say, I I need some help. I have some wrestlings in my life. Maybe there's some grief that you're fighting through. Maybe there's just a heaviness. Man, let us walk with one another. And more than anything, we come to a Jesus who is worthy of our worship. Would you guys stand with me as I close in prayer? Jesus, we thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives. We thank you that we don't have to be perfect to come to you. But when we come to you, day by day, you are making us more and more and more in your image. Lord, would you teach us what it means to surrender? Would you teach us what it means to participate in the sanctification that you're working out? Like Paul, would we work out our salvation with fear and trembling? And Lord, I pray that as we walk this next year, that we would look back and be able to see the ways that you're moving and molding and shaping our lives. I pray all this in your name.